This episode of Insights is brought to you by MNP Digital, a firm that guides, protects, and empowers organizations along their digital journey. See how at mnpdigital.ca. Welcome to the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, we had an absolutely excellent conversation today with Dr. Beth Mason, the CEO of the Verschuren Center for uh, Energy and Sustainability uh, in Cape Breton. Uh, It was a very interesting conversation. They're doing very interesting things at the center, and she's really building a little, what I would call almost a mini empire there uh, in, uh, in CBRM. Well, it, it does remind me uh, of what has happened with the PEI Bio Alliance. Um, you know, they're different a little bit in terms of the focus, obviously, but, you know, um, the same possibility uh, exists for Cape Breton to replicate the success that the Bio Alliance has had in PEI, which, you know, they built it up to, uh, over a period of 15 years to a cluster that uh, employs more than 2,500 people and, and at last count had $400 million of export revenue being generated by the companies in that cluster. And uh, by the sounds of it, uh, they're well on the way of, of replicating that success based on our conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we did. she did tell us some of the numbers, some of the forecasts that they're proposing. And unfortunately... We can't reveal it here today on the show, but in a few weeks they're going to be announcing, you know, their targets and where they expect to take the uh, the bioeconomy cluster uh, on Cape Breton in the next uh, few years. So very exciting to see, you know, what they're proposing to do there. And I think you're right. I think it looks like an early, early version of what uh, Rory Francis did with the PEI Bio Alliance. Uh, you've got a number of interesting new companies that have been attracted to the region. They're, they're doing very interesting things. And there's infrastructure uh, that they're leveraging those big uh, uh, bio reactors and so on uh, to attract uh, uh, new entrepreneurs. But they have an interesting business model, Don. They're, unlike universities and unlike some other organizations, they're not taking any equity stakes in the firms they work with. They're, they're providing... Uh, fee-based services, and they are providing support. Uh, but the value in the center is not that they're taking equity in these firms. The value is that they're helping them grow, and they're creating economic development, and they're creating a revenue source uh, directly for uh, for the Verschuren Center. Yeah, and they're they're providing, I guess, incubation uh, facilities uh, to be able to scale their biotech uh, companies, in particular, uh, to be able to you know do large batch. Uh, testing, I suppose, the products, and uh, you know, to have the ability to share those kinds of facilities obviously uh, is important for the startup uh, sector in, in this in this area. So, very interesting uh, model, quite different than the, some of the others that we've uh, t- talked about already. But you know, this is a this is a thing that I find gratifying when we're doing these podcasts. Frankly, you know. We're, I'm pretty sure a lot of people haven't heard much about the Verschuren uh, Center. You know, it's obviously named after the, the chair of the board uh, who had a very successful business career and has given back to her home uh, town um, through the center. But, you know, uh, they have uh, they have a quite a big complement of uh, staff. They've, uh, they've got 40 on their staff, which would make them amongst the largest, I guess, uh, 
organizations of their kind in in Atlantic Canada, and no, not many people would know that, right? And so, yeah, I was uh, I was surprised yeah, at the size too. Yeah, yeah, I was very surprised, and uh, and and I, I also wanted to. The other thing that we keep seeing is the connection, the collaboration that seems to be happening across Atlantic Canada of like-minded organizations, and uh, I'm very happy about that personally because you know. You know Often we, we get parochial and we, you know, it's us against everybody else. But in Atlanta, Canada, as you and I have talked about many times, we need, the, we, need, we need to have that collaboration, learn from each other, draw on its success from every, each other and, 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 and share in that success. And I, I, I see that evident every time we have a conversation with somebody in this, in, in this area, don't you? Yes, and I think that has to be the secret to this region's success, if we can see better collaboration, if we can work together, if these organizations can kind of, uh, you know, share resources and 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 share knowledge and actually work together, I think it's going to help the region. Uh, and maybe in a way that larger urban centers like a Toronto or a Montreal or a Vancouver, the organizations can't do that kind of collaboration. I think it's easier here. So I think that's absolutely right. And and. Uh, not only do they have 40 or so staff, they're working with 40 different companies. I thought that was a very interesting uh, uh, number, uh, doing all kinds of stuff from forest biomass to uh, uh, looking at seaweed and potential other types of projects, and even a very interesting project around solar energy. So lots of interesting things. I think the listeners will, will be very impressed with what the, uh, what the Bersheron Center is doing these days. Yeah, I just want to mention one other thing that I, I hadn't thought about before, but I think it's really an important part uh, point that uh, Beth Ray, uh, raised. She said, you know, uh, places like Nova Scotia, because of our small size, actually have an advantage. The advantage is that everybody knows everybody else. And the, the ability to work uh, together across sectors or across regions is easier here than perhaps bigger markets or, or bigger communities and i i agree with that you know i i agree with that i i felt that all my career um you know i i just you know the ability to work across the the region was really pretty easy there's a great affinity among the four atlantic provinces to begin with uh, we share some common challenges and opportunities and, and like i think that that was a really important uh, point that she raised Absolutely. And you and I have had the opportunity to talk to people that are really advocates for our region. And I, historically, there's been a lot of hang dog about our region. Why would anybody want to ever do anything in Atlantic Canada? And that's right. just kind of a backwater. And we're seeing a lot of people that are very passionate about this region. I mean, uh, Beth Mason called Cape Breton magical. Right. Uh, you will hear that in this conversation. So she finds Cape Breton magical. And I think a lot of people find Cape Breton magical. So yeah. it depends on your perspective. Is it a post-industrial backwater that has no future? Or is it a magical place with great potential for the future? And I think Beth would say it's the latter. Uh, and that's what's exciting about, about what's going on uh, with her center and what's going on with a lot of the, the innovators that we've talked to. I just have to tell you a quick story because this is my, you know, I did a lot of work in tourism uh, when I owned my own, uh, my company and we did a, a bunch of research in tourism. But one of the things that I was associated with was uh, the branding of Cape Breton. This goes back uh, 25 years, I suppose, or more. And we did a bunch of research and we worked with uh, a partner um, agency to develop a, a theme for Cape Breton. And so we came up with 
Cape Breton, Nova Scotia's masterpiece. And it still actually fits, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, here is our conversation with Dr. Beth Mason from the Verschuren Center. Let's start by you telling our listeners about the Verschuren Center for Sustainability in Energy and the Environment. When was it founded? What is its role and how is it funded? Yeah, it was founded in 2011 on the back of the closure of the heavy industrial um, activities in Cape Breton with a mission to transform the economy. And uh, initially it was funded with some mine funds from, from Public Works at the time, which was uh, people will remember as, as DEVCO and focused mostly on research in those remediation efforts. And then, um, so it was, it had some core funding there and its focus was largely research. So it was grant based, um, but the center itself was supposed to become a self-sufficient entity. And then I uh, came in 2014 uh, to grow the bioprocess uh, sector uh, which we didn't have here at that point. That was my job. And somehow that morphed into running the centre. And at that point, we had a change of, of uh, strategy um, for our on our funding perspective, and that was that um, grant-based funding for university um, entities assumes that you're all paid, um, and it just pays for students and, and research. And that's not really a very self-sustaining uh, model, and it also wasn't a business model that we felt would fit with what our mission was, and that was to transform our economy. So we we switched to a service-based model, um, which for a not-for-profit, that's rather a challenging business case, but that's what we do. Um, and our client base is everything from government to lar a large number of, of small, medium enterprises, corporate partners across the board, uh, because there's a common theme to them. So, so how, what's your headcount? I, I was surprised when I looked on the website how many employees you have. Yeah, so we grew rapidly as a result of our changing business model from around 20 people to just about 40 plus. We just took in another, I think, 10 students that we do annually, and that keeps going up all the time. So. That's impressive. You must be one of the largest in the province, certainly the largest in Cape Breton. Yeah, uh, when you think of it from that perspective, uh, it would be hard to build a business that employed that many people. And, you know, they're all highly qualified personnel, um, which brings a richness to what we do. Um, but I will add, and, I, and we'll probably cover this at some point, in the last year when we started to grow our bioeconomy um, center, our clients also hired 51 people in that first year. So in terms of, of you know, job growth, it, it's quite remarkable. Right. So Beth, in 2020, you announced the center was branching off from Cape Breton University and we're incorporating as a not-for-profit standalone research and technology center. Uh, why did you decide to make that move? Because universities uh, typically um, their metrics are different from what we needed to do um, their metrics tend to be research focused on on you know production of, of papers patents um, and and you know early innovation 
as well as, you know, educational aspects. And, and really what we needed to do was to become more versatile, more responsive, and, and able to create teams of people that were cutting edge to work with the cutting edge technology companies and advance them to commercial scale. And so, you know, our, our metrics are quite different from a university and our modus operandi is. So it, it just, it had to be uh, that we created a new entity. Beth, let, we want to find out a little bit about your background before we go too deep. Uh, how did you end up in Cape Breton as the president of the Verturin Center? Yeah, my background's a mystery and it keeps well hidden. Um, <laughs> I, I, most people don't know, but I have an agri-food uh, background. And so I've worked in, in uh, private business. I built my own business in, in uh, co-products and logistics in BC before I came here. Um, I landed in Canada, obviously wasn't born Canadian with an accent like this. Um, and, uh, you know, I've worked in government and I've worked in large corp. I worked with one of the biggest dairy companies in Canada. And most of my focus has always been on, on upcycling, low value, what we call uh, co-products and what other people call waste. My belief is there's no such thing as waste. And certainly now with the move to a circular economy, that's what we have to do is to find ways to upcycle um, our primary commodities. Canada's based on, on primary production. And we typically, we stay that way. We export primary commodities and we have to move in the global economy to upcycling, adding value and, and retaining that value in Canada. So that's always been my interest. I came to Cape Breton actually because I was working in bioenergy um, and I had met my predecessor at an algal conference. And so we were looking at use of co-products for, for algae production. And when I came here, I was just so impressed at, at what the potential of the place was. And maybe I'm a bit of an anomaly in that regard, but all I could see was what could be done uh, and what wasn't being done. And so I moved here and I, I built the um, bioprocessing group and then uh, when that was growing, uh, the board decided it might be an idea if I tried to do that for the rest of the, the business. Now, the center has three broad areas of research, agri-marine industries, clean energy, and the aquatics industry clusters. Maybe you could tell us why the center decided to focus on those particular themes and a little bit maybe about what the center is doing to advance innovation in each of these areas. You might even give us some examples of some companies that perhaps uh, uh, for each of those uh, uh, cluster areas. Yeah, I've, I've, I've struggled for this entire uh, period to actually uh, do what I call the elevator picture of what the center does. <laughs> and I haven't mastered it yet. But the closest I can get is everything we do fits into probably two deliverables, and that is greening our economy and and you know that's a a catch-all but you can divide that into things that are bio-based and things that are carbon energetics based and so if you think of the bio-based sectors we've grown the industrial bio manufacturing group which takes anything again going back to what canada has primary resource wise a basic commodity and upcycles the value of it i tell people anything that you can make from petrochemicals you can make from sugar and sugar is everywhere. It's in starch, it's in woody material. 
um, it's in methanol. It's it's so abundant. And so on our bio side, our focus is basically upcycling high value commodities um, into specific green chemicals, plastics, uh, even cosmetics ingredients. So on the industrial bio, we have um, ficus who are making a, a a biopolymer and also a component that goes into cosmetics that replaces um, formaldehyde process. So, you know, petrochemical based um, going to natural products. Um, we also have Denova who produce single cell proteins. And so same, same process, same big uh, capital intensive equipment. And really that's where, you know, our focus is, 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 building capacity for the rest of the country to accelerate those technologies. Because unlike IT, where you might just need a, a desk and a laptop, for clean tech, you need big scale. So the, so the materials side on the bio also extends into you know, climate mitigation aspects. So displacing petrochemicals, but also you know, how do we adapt what we do ag, food, and aquaculture-wise going forward? So plant biologics... Um, seaweed extracts and um, and also then on, on shellfish um, life cycle because we have a big project with Rod Beresford in the Bredore Lakes to bring back the oyster industry. And that's quite classic of, of you know, one wouldn't necessarily associate that um, with climate change, but, you know, we know we will see increasing you know, disease invasion, invasive species. And so what do we do about it? And that was an industry typically devastated by that. Um, and so um, Rod's working with a lot of First Nations uh, leaseholders to try to bring back uh, that industry. The other half of what we do is called decarbonizing. Um, everybody from government to, to individuals to um, large corporations has to move to net zero. We all have to reduce our carbon footprint. So that side of our business um, does things like uh, AltaBio to do where they take, you know, forestry biomass and produce a, a functional graphene product that reduces the carbon footprint of, of, of cement and concrete. Um, so it's think transformations of carbon-based materials and then also decarbonizing. Um, so how do we map a pathway for a corporate partner to get to net zero? How does the government hit its targets for 2030, 2050? Um, and then as individual communities, and I, I know you, you may be aware of this one, you know, can we collectively work towards reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and becoming net zero? And so it, it, it sounds very broad, but I, I divide it into scope one and scope two. If you're a business, you've got those emissions. Scope one is how do I reduce my greenhouse gas emission? Scope two is how do I green my procurement? And, and if I'm a company and I want, you know, sustainable ingredients, green chemicals, bio-based fuels, where will I find them in Canada? And that's our mission is, is to support Canadian manufacturing by getting those, those technologies to commercial scale. So, Beth, I'm trying to get a little bit at the, what's the secret sauce here of your center. You've received national coverage for attracting biotech and clean tech entrepreneurs. The Toronto Star ran a story just last year citing the number of entrepreneurs that have made the trek to Cape Breton to take advantage of working with your center 
Can you tell us why these entrepreneurs are attracted uh, to Cape Breton to work with your center? Is there specific technology or, or capabilities that you have that are enticing entrepreneurs to move all the way to Cape Breton? Yeah, uh, it's really quite simple. Um, you know, and it derives out of your earlier question. Our business model is, is straightforward, but it's quite unique in Canada. Um, when a company comes here with IP that they've, you know, liberated, kicking and screaming out of a university, it's their IP, it stays their IP. When we grow that IP with them, it still belongs to them. So when they go out for investment, they have a clean cap table. So if we didn't do it that way, then they would lose advantage and lose the chance to scale. Um, so, so we have uh, as well working with InnovaCorp, as you were mentioning, um, we, we created a, 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 an entity called Ascend Bio, which is basically an umbrella that, that puts that model out there for companies and helps us build that pipeline. One of the other big secrets of our secret sauce is not that small, it's building big capacity. So we talked about our industrial bio, um, that, you know, building a thousand liter reactor, um, there's only three in Canada. So anybody who's working at the bench in a little flask and eventually wants to build a plant somewhere in Canada has to go through a scale up. And that doesn't matter if it's industrial bio, if, it, if it's thermochemical transition for biofuel, you need capital intensive equipment. And rather than every SME company chasing a million dollars for the next step and $10 million for the 10,000 litre step, we decided that we would do it. And that's far more capital efficient when it comes to taxpayers' dollars. Um, and it's also efficient when it comes to investment dollars in that you don't have your company building a pilot unit that they're not going to use again you transition them quickly through this kind of a facility. That's the attraction. You can't find it uh, in very many other places in Canada. So that infrastructure, like the thousand liter react bioreactor, is that funded by the province? Like who, who provides funding for the, that infrastructure? For infrastructure projects, we put out proposals to whatever federal, provincial funding is available. And so um, ACOA is a great supporter on our infrastructure builds. Uh, they see the value of the companies that, that will come through and use that. Um, we've gone out for our next build, um, which will be announced soon to a stacked model of federal funds from a, an array of, of funding. And then, you know, the province is also at the table in terms of helping resource those things, um, the capital intensive build, uh, you know, as a, we're, we're a small not-for-profit like the clients that we have, you know, so we, you know, we're kind of punching above our weight on, on the capacity build. Um, so we, we have a very supportive ecosystem. And I think that's what also attracts people from across Canada is Nova Scotia is unique. Because we're small, we're mighty. Because we're small, we're connected. Um, and, and that's always been my mission here is, is to make sure we're all working at a piece of the pipeline. We're not saying we do something and have five people say they do something and then companies fall off a cliff, right? So, Beth, could I just jump in quickly. Can you give us an idea of how many companies or clients you're working with uh, using your um, incubation facilities, I guess, right now? How many would you be working with? Yeah, we have a mixed model. So some companies are here. Some we do contract. Large companies will contract. 
Some of our projects are external. There's about 40 companies uh, that we work with right now. So, and just following up on Don's question there, uh, Beth, it, is there potential for many of these companies to stay and grow in Nova Scotia, or do they get to a point where they've matured their technology and then they go somewhere else in Canada or wherever? Yeah, it's, it's another interesting piece of our ecosystem is the connectivity. So where we might be working with a corporate partner on decarbonizing, we can also then introduce that SME technology to that corporate partner. So it gives an advantage to our, our Nova Scotia partners um, that we're working with those things and that they could be the potential deployment for them. On the industrial bio, um, our goal isn't to imagine that all those companies will grow here because we don't have the range of feedstocks. We do have forestry biomass, which will be a feedstock for some of them. And so some of those companies will commercialize in Nova Scotia. But what we retain in Cape Breton is that, that capacity to show people how to scale, the engineering know-how, um, the, you know, the shared lab facility, which is another unique aspect of our model, whereby you can come in when we do a thousand litre run, you're right there learning how to do that. So when you go to your own facility, those skills are, are acquired. So, you know, will everybody uh, build here? No, not at all. Some will build, you know, next to a pea processing facility in Saskatoon because their feedstock is pea starch. Um, some will be in Alberta because their feedstock's methanol. But the core is here of where you can come in and, and make the next product and the next product. So, Beth, just again, another follow-up. I'm sorry, there's so many interesting questions here, but is there opportunity to see any of that feedstock actually grown agriculturally in uh, in Cape Breton? Are there specific um, crops that might be suitable to the climate that would be interesting to these firms? Yeah, it's, it is an interesting one because we always assume we've got this massive land base and we should be doing something with it. You know, probably our biggest asset here in Cape Breton is wind. Um, as everybody knows, we're one of the windiest places in the country. So, you know, as as we um, decentralize energy generation, I think you'll see um, that, you know, where Cape Breton once fired the province in, in coal energy, we will fire the province in wind, in thermal, um, and, and in, in, you know, ocean-based energy. Um, what other resources do we have? We have, like, a massive coastline. So we have a lot of companies right now on, on the seaweed uh, trail, um, locally, that's been something that a lot of people like to talk about, but we're attracting companies actually from outside of Canada who are already advanced in cultivation. So, you know, most people are aware of Acadian sea plants and their, their harvest, their wild harvest. You know, the move is to, is to cultivate at a scale and efficiency level that, that, you know, you've got functional ingredients from that instead of just a seaweed biomass. So, you know, that, that has potential. It'll take a while, but it certainly is using our natural resources. And, you know, the other aspect of that is a carbon sink. Um, but, you know, we're also surrounded by water. So electrolysis for hydrogen production absolutely makes sense in, in Nova Scotia. And there's, you know, a number of interested partners, parties in, involved in hydrogen. Um, we also work with, with large corps and the ports in terms of what does the future of 
you know, mobility look like. Um, and all of those things will be key to decarbonizing, uh, you know, heavy transportation sectors and things like that. Before I turn it back to Don, I wanted to ask you about a story I read recently in the CBC about what is described as Nova Scotia's first net zero greenhouse gas emissions community which will be powered by solar and geothermal. But I saw in that article that you are the overseer or project manager of that product, of that project. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? And are there other opportunities? Is that is that a one-off or are you looking at doing more of that in the future? Yeah, uh, our mission at, at the VC is to be uh, first of a kind or first of a kind in Canada. Wherever we're in a sector where there are already commercial entities and service providers, we don't want to be in that. Um, we want to spawn more activity. The New Dawn um, solar array is is a, um, a collective ground mount array, um, which under our current regulations with, with um, Nova Scotia Power is, is limited um, in what we can do. But that's changing with the Changing Utility Act. But the nice thing about that is that the, pro the project, our role in the project is to build it, pull together how to finance a first of its kind scenario like that, um, and then engage with local contractors to get the job done. So, I mean, it, it does a number of things. It provides, you know, a zero energy bill to low income uh, households, which is, you know, very much a focus of New Dawn Enterprises. But it also shows other communities how they can become net zero. So it's a challenging one because an existing community has to do a lot of retrofit. But, you know, there, there's an awful lot of activity and jobs in retrofit. Um, so, you know, the geothermal piece is, is heat pumps. You just do them bigger. And then the solar is your generation. But by combining those technologies, you can basically zero out energy costs and for you know like i said low-income housing there's other opportunities that we're looking at within cape breton obviously where we'll do ground mount solar as a cooperative type scenario where you can collectively you know economize by building one large array on the ground which then feeds multiple homes on multiple not-for-profits so yeah, the the new dawn uh, one was was really the first of what we hope will be a number of those installations. And there, did you suggest that the new uh, there's new provincial legislation that will make that more cost effective, or um, it will make it more available to do um, in terms of that right now there's a limit of 100 kilowatts um, for one user, so it will make it more possible to combine load and therefore build an array servicing multiple clients so that cooperative model will become more accessible which you know when you when you think about it you know we government needs to decarbonize manufacturing does and individually we do so you can put solar panels on your roof but if you're in, in a you know a typical area where there's ground capacity collectively you can decarbonize uh, Beth, in February of last year, you received funding to support the development of the Biotechnology Acceleration Center. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you, you, I think you referred to it previously a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about the center and, and, and what you're trying to achieve? I would be interested, as an example, to uh, talk about maybe uh, some of the companies that are currently you're currently working with that you might be 
a little bit more excited about than others? Oh, that's a hard one. I, I just <laughs> get excited by all of them. <laughs> and, and you know, more so like the young entrepreneurs, like it's just so cool to see the speed they want to go to, to change things. You know, we, we have metrics on, on our intake on, you know, we're only, we're only small. Uh, we can't take everybody in. So our metrics really revolve around the team, the technology and the SDG impact. And that's why I think all of them are exciting. Um, the forestry uh, came under FIT funding. Uh, that's a forestry um, transition fund. And that was funding that, that you know, similar to what ACOA has, which is transition funding um, intended to generate new economy after the old. The FIT fund, it was focused at, you know, how do we take what we have plentiful supply of biomass and upcycle that into the new economy and the higher value markets. And so our focus was on, you know, companies that transform forestry materials, whether that's, you know, shavings, pulp, and those residuals um, into high value molecules. And I mentioned Altabiota, who was one company that basically will take forestry material, it's pyrolyzed, which means high temperature and pressure, and then it's converted into, into graphene, biographene, which is an incredibly valuable functional molecule. Um, so that's one example. On the bio side, um, you know, there's a number of companies that can use cellulosic sugars. So, you know, transforming forestry biomass, pulling out the sugars from those. Typically, C6 is used, and that's any of our clients use C6. C5 is a difficult one. And so there's a company, Ozone Bio, uh, that was in our group who actually can take those C5 sugars, which are kind of stubborn. Um, and they have a really novel process to convert that um, into high value um, bio-based nylon, which is of interest. You know, So talking about all things petrochemical, um, nylon is used, as, as everybody knows, in fabric, um, and, and actually, fabric is one of the largest components of landfill. So, you know, to have a bio-based material like that is hugely beneficial. Um, the biopolymers is another one. So if you can use cellulosic to biopolymer, that's the foundation of plastics. And we all know the story on plastics in the oceans. So uh, another one, uh, you know, biomass is typically used for ethanol production in this country. And what most people don't know usually is that that glycerol is an off product of, of ethanol production and that's also a feedstock for for some of our companies i mentioned uh, ficus they use glycerol as their feedstock so you know as i said earlier sugar comes in all forms but it's everywhere and and you know the forestry funds focused on taking those sugar-based and particularly forestry-based biomass and adding value you know that's really that's really sophisticated from my point of view. Um, somebody who uh, uh, appreciates the biotech world more and more every every day. Uh, the center has a corporate objective to deliver positive impacts on business and social economic development within the region. Now this is a big this is the hard question. We you know we've talked to quite a few organizations in your space, I guess accelerators and incubators. You know. We asked the same question of economic economic development agencies as well, and that that is how do you measure success? Well, you know, how do you know you're having an impact? What 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 metrics are you using, Beth? 
you know, as I said, we've got metrics for intake and therefore we've got metrics to measure against. So, you know, in obvious metrics of success are, are we advancing IP to commercial scale? Uh, that's not something we're used to measuring, you know, IP generation. Did you register a patent? All that, that we're great at measuring that, but how many of those made it into deployment? So that will be a big measure of our success. So our metrics limit who we take in based on their chances of success. And therefore, our likely metrics of success will show that a much higher percentage of them make it to commercialization. Our other metrics, you know, we've talked a little bit about the impact on economic development of growing a bioeconomy like this are, are the jobs. Um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, 51 in a year, including, you know, an additional 20 for us, that's 70 jobs per year. The job growth potential for the bioeconomy is huge. Um, and, and within that, you you have also transitional uh, skills, trades and skills that can upcycle uh, what they are and become part of that economy. So jobs is another one. The other is, um, you know, the investment in, in our province. Like we are seeing venture capital funds follow our clients here to, to the centre. And, and, and it's incredible how much money is around right now to invest in, in, in these types of companies. You know, every large fund has a sustainable fund or an SDG targeted fund. And the nice thing about the companies is that, that you know, their metrics are impact on SDG, which tracks that kind of investment. So there's a knock-on effect to the economy from bringing investment here around those companies. So those are probably our biggest metrics. Beth, we'd like to get your thoughts more generally now on how to build a strong, stronger economy in Cape Breton and across Atlantic Canada. I've had the opportunity to, to chat with you in a group setting. I've, I've heard some of your ideas. You seem to have given quite a bit of thought to how a place like Cape Breton can grow a strong economy. So the first question I wanted to ask you was related to how we can attract and keep talent in the region. It tends to be a growing challenge now for tech firms. I, I don't know if you're seeing that with your firms, but it does seem to be a bigger issue now in the region. Uh, how do we develop and attract talent uh, to support the kind of economic development that you're you're working on uh, in Cape Breton and across Nova Scotia? Yeah, it, it's a good question, especially with the change in the labor market that we've seen through COVID. As you said, you know, it's much more attractive for people to want to work from home. In the clean tech business, not a lot of it can be done from your office at home. Um, so we're not competing for the same kinds of people as the tech industry is. However, what we face is a shortage of the right skill sets. Uh, and it's becoming really critical right now that, that we are not training the kinds of people we need to hire and our clients need to hire for the bioeconomy. And so I think, you know, where our focus is, and, you know, we're supposed to just be the technical platform, and but we're pulled in these other directions. Our focus is, can we create, you know, upskilling credentials and programs to transform people into the bioeconomy alongside the technologies? And, and that's where there's a bit of an urgency. Um, it, it's, it's finding the skill sets as well as the people. So I think, how do you attract and retain? Um, 
who wouldn't want to work in a cutting edge technology uh, company uh, when you know you can change the world? So I think we, we've got an advantage already. Um, but what we can also do with those, you know, credentialing programs is you take this program, you're pretty much guaranteed a job, um, you know, and so and a job at a high tech level. So I think that the, there'll be enough attraction if we can get the right skill sets. Uh, let me ask you a, a, a follow-up question to that. Uh, you're well aware of the Bio Alliance of PEI, I'm sure. <clears throat> They've developed yeah. a new program to uh, take a look at the talent challenge called Castle. Are, are you linked into them at all in terms of uh, finding talent? There is uh, there's a number of activities going on in the province right now. So the, there is a collection of, of us within the province that are uh, – interacting on that level, but also on creating other programs. And then there, we're also involved, uh, I know through our NGEN connections in Ontario, um, there's a bigger mission to do credentialing. So we're trying to work with as many people as we can to get this done. You know, we, we may need to look out west uh, for the kind of people that we need. Uh, you know, there are very, very few fermentation programs uh, in the colleges. They would be a perfect place to do that. We're working with NSCC Marconi to look at whether we can have, you know, specific programs developed there. Uh, they've got some assets that would be really helpful in that regard. Um, you know, and, you know, maybe we're drawing from Alberta um, for engineering, uh, for downstream process. So, you know, my feeling is we need a national program, um, but you know, obviously, the more we can do locally, the better we support that. But you just... are rating talent from across the country, right? That I've seen examples of the people that are moving to Cape Breton. Yeah, I guess we might be one of those companies poaching people, but you know, if we we poach, we're also open to being poached back, right? Um, but I, I think, yeah, we. Are we rating talent? I think we're attracting new talent, um, but I really would like to think we can upcycle existing talented people to 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 step into these roles. I wanted to talk just a little bit about the entrepreneurs that are being attracted to uh, your center in Cape Breton. Um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the number that are setting up permanent sort of operations, you know, and the opportunity to, you know, attract entrepreneurs to stay in Cape Breton once they come and start working with you. Is that actually happening right now? Yeah, we've had a, a quite a number of people move out from Toronto, um, you know, who graduated at U of T uh, with their IP and have come here and moved here to grow it. Uh, some people have moved their families here. Um, and others are, you know, entrepreneurs that are building their team here. And that's where, you know, I think the traction will be in those core teams that build that new expertise will stay together. Um, you know, and it, it's my belief there's something magical about Nova Scotia and, and particularly Cape Breton that when you get here, you can't leave. So yeah. I, I referenced the Bio Alliance. They're, they're a pretty good example of. Uh, really having a lot of success building a cluster over a pretty short period of time. I think it's only been 15 years since they really got going. So it's, they haven't been around that long. I, I wonder about the same opportunity for Cape Breton in terms of, you know, 
what needs to be done to have the similar success of building a, a cluster of manufacturers or technology developers or service firms in Cape Breton? Or, or is it already happening right now? Yeah, we did it uh, in about the last three years. Um, that's the speed at which it's transitioning. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of reasons. Um, you know, in terms of the, the bio, uh, genetic engineering advanced to a stage where now we can we can program a microbe to spit out whatever we like. And so, you know, that that's where that gap sits in that we've got uh, these incredible talents who can produce that. But we forgot about how did we scale it and how do we get engineers who can help them change their process so that it's commercially viable. So... You know, that was building already pre-COVID, the, you know, what I call the gene jockey generation who can make anything. And so you saw that coming through universities. But, you know, 10 years ago in, in Europe, you already saw like large companies buying up my biotech companies like crazy. Um, the advantage we have of our model is, you know, when a large, you know, corporate buys up new innovation, they tend to kill it. Because uh, it, it just doesn't thrive in the mothership. What we provide is that open access, uh, you know, growth platform um, to get to a scale where you know you can attract investment and not be diluted to to nothing, um, and not be lost. And so I think you know the combination of of the the time is right for the for the, you know biomanufacturing, um, the urgency around uh, you know net zero. And, and and climate change, which again has been building for many years, and suddenly we woke up and realized that we actually are not in control of that little thing very well right now. Um, so you combine those, and and then COVID <laughs> on top of it. So we actually grew ours through COVID. Uh, our our you want to call it cluster? It's a platform um, for technology advancement. Um, so it, it's already here. Um, what we what we will struggle with is how big it, it's getting and how much attraction there is. And so that kind of leads us to the, the conversation about how do we replicate what we do across Canada? You know, our goal isn't to do something just for Cape Breton. We will not be successful if we don't do something that's globally relevant. And therefore, we can't do it all. But if we've shown that we can do this in three years with our partners, then then we need to then replicate that across the country so the whole country can do it faster. And that that that's probably our mission from here. So Beth, Don and I are very interested in innovation and innovation-led economic development. Obviously, the Bersherin Center is a really great example of innovation-based economic development. But I did want to ask you a question about what you think the role should be for the public sector. Uh, the Conference Board of Canada in 2021 and their, on their innovation scorecard actually said that Nova Scotia was the only province that got an A-plus for public sector investment in R&D. But the province got Ds and D-minuses and things like business spending in R&D and, and, uh, and other measures. So I guess I, when I look at that, I think, well... So the public sector is either intramurally in their own research centers or extramurally. They are investing in R&D in Nova Scotia, but how come that's not translating into greater results in, say, leveraging private R&D or whatever? So I guess the question for you is, what do you think the role of the public sector should be to support innovation in in Nova Scotia? Yeah, um, 
I think Canada knows why it doesn't succeed in, in commercializing. We have a net brain drain because other people do it better. Um, I think that we do invest probably overly heavily in, in university spending. Um, R&D is the beginning of the pipeline. At the end of university, you know, there, there's a lot of accelerators and incubators, but after that, there's a cliff. And that there endeth the lesson. So in, in terms of us getting private investment involved, if the only place to put private dollars is in a university and the only goal of a university is to publish uh, or patent, how does that private entity get bang for your buck? And that's why I think they're more interested now. You're seeing you know, companies like Nestle create their own innovation center because they're not getting that technology and IP out of those universities successfully and being able to scale it to reality. So I think that's why our model is successful because we've just bridged that gap. So instead of falling off a cliff with your IP coming out of an accelerator where you know, you've, you've learned your business skills, you, you know, you've got your first tranche of angel funds and you've secured your IP and then off you go over the cliff. We've created that bridge. So we've got that corporate investor who, who will put funds into piloting and demonstrating that technology, but it has to reach a degree of maturity that, that they need to invest. And so in my mind, where does the private sector play? In, in jointly creating piloting capacity so that they can then be the deployment agents of that technology. And it does that as well as the fact that you then accelerate the uptake of clean tech. You get it to them faster, more cost effectively, and they can become the deployment agents for it. So, you know, in a nutshell, we're too heavy. And, and those, those scores demonstrate that exactly. We are way too heavy on the front end and we forgot about how you reach scale. IT, that didn't matter. Clean tech, it absolutely does. Yeah, that's uh, you, you made some really great points there. Uh, I remember sitting on the Dell board and having discussions about why commercialization was not happening within, in, a, in a university that had the biggest research budget in the region. And uh, I think they're making some progress on that now, but at that time, there wasn't much. Uh, just a couple of final questions. Um, Cape Breton, um, as a region, has really underperformed economically for a long time compared to other regions in the, in the country. It's had out-migration, population challenges, aging population. I think that's starting to change now, at least uh, recently, there's some growth. Uh, certainly, the university is a big uh, part of attracting population uh, to the, the Sydney area. Uh, you know, uh, Cape Breton has a lot of assets, natural resources, you know, for sure, hundreds of kilometers of coastline, an internationally recognized tourism brand. By the way, I think it's the best place to visit in Atlantic Canada. <laughs> I go there every year at least once. Um, a dynamic university that is attracting nearly thousands of students from uh, not just outside the region, outside the country. And a large urban center. I wish it would brand itself properly, by the way, and stop calling itself CBRM. Nobody knows where that is. Um, <laughs> but that's just my own opinion. Do you have thoughts on how uh, we can build a strong and sustainable economy in the region moving forward. Yeah, I think you, you've probably, I'm not quiet about how I think that that needs to happen. I think you've heard some of that in this conversation. Um, you know, I, if there were a motto, it would be think global, 
start with local innovation, right? And and I think the thing we forget, and this is the you know the the dichotomy of the universities versus what a you know what industry needs, is is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, and you don't always have to create it yourself. You know, innovation isn't that one magic bullet, that one unicorn that everybody's chasing. And yes, there are some unicorns, and we've seen those in Atlantic Canada for sure. But innovation has to be for everyone. It has to be a shared goal. Um, you know, when I first, you asked me earlier, you know, how did I end up in Cape Breton? And when I say when I came here, I saw the potential. When I came here, what I saw was the UK when I left it more than 30 years ago, dying primary industry and, and, and a hotbed for future innovation. The challenge was we just weren't recognizing that, right? And, and, and the longer you don't recognize it, the, the longer you stagnate. But if you think globally about what does the world need today, there is absolutely no reason you can't do that in Cape Breton, in Nova Scotia, in Atlantic Canada, in Canada as a whole. We've been very narrow-minded in Canada on how we think we do innovation, as we've just discussed, and, and, and what we do by way of value add. You know, we export everything. And, and if this last, you know, if COVID didn't teach us, the current crisis in Ukraine has taught us we need to be, you know, in charge of our own destiny. You know, the, the intensification of agriculture after the Second World War was because people starved, because they depended on external sources of food, right? Right now, there are people who can't put food on the table, they can't afford gas, we should be manufacturing in Canada. And, and there is no reason that somewhere like Cape Breton can't do what we're doing right now, and that is, is breeding and, and supporting innovation. We're going to attract innovative companies from Europe. We're bringing in companies from the States already. There's no reason they can't be here. We don't have to do all that on our own. We need to do it as a collective, right? That's 100%. And, you know, one of the one of our purposes of this podcast is to shine a light on the good work that's being done and, and largely unrecognized. And I would put the Verschuren Center right squarely in the middle of that, Beth. And, uh, you know, you've really helped uh, people understand some exciting things that are happening right under our nose, and we don't really realize it. It's happening, by the way, right across Atlantic Canada. We've had so many great conversations over the last months um, that just makes uh, David and I super op optimistic about the future for the region. And I guess that leads us to the last question. I, I'm pretty sure you're optimistic. I don't need to ask you that, <laughs> but maybe maybe looking looking down the road, I don't know, five years, what do you see? What do you see? Yeah, it's hard to even look five years at this speed, but you know, I, I see us doing what, well, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do it 10 times the size. Um, we're going to add, you know, decarbonizing thermal technologies into our national center. Um, you know, we, we'll keep growing what we do here, but where I see us five years is I hope to heck someone else in this country is doing the same thing as we do um, to support those, those, you know, companies and entrepreneurs so that 
we're not losing them to, to the US and to, to Europe. We're actually drawing people to Canada because we've made that foundation for them. And yeah, I, I come from a place in the north of England where they're typically what we call glass half empty. Um, I want to be one of those glass half full people <laughs> aiming to, to fill the glass. So yeah, I, the timing is so right uh, right now for all of these technologies to move fast. And we just know we have to. So it's it's happening. Beth, thank you so much for joining us today on the Insights Podcast. We wish you all the best leading the Vershuren Center for Sustainability and Energy and the Environment as it continues to play an important role in the region in the years ahead. Thank you so much for your insights today. And we'll have to come back in a couple of years and see where we are. Yeah, do that. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Beth. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week. This episode of Insights was brought to you by MNP Digital, a firm that guides, protects, and empowers organizations along their digital journey. See how at mnpdigital.ca.